we've been in a sermon series for the last seven weeks, and I am going to close that series today with a message that's on my heart out of Luke chapter 10, and I'm calling it Expressing a Loving Heart. And this is the uh, final message of this series. I'm excited to bring some other things to you. What I've been doing is just seeking the Lord, and as I listen to the Holy Spirit, He puts things into my heart that are not maybe where I would have gone, but I'm really looking forward to, to what, what's ahead. And so as we open up the word together, Luke chapter 10, um, let's join our hearts uh, in prayer. And as we do that, I just want to speak freedom over every person this morning. We prayed before the service, and I just hear the Lord saying, freedom. We're going to see him bring freedom to our hearts, to our homes, to our marriages, to our children. The Lord is going to bring freedom in this church he is powerful. When we sang the name of Jesus, we sang the name of Jesus above every label over our life, above every other name that's held us down. The name of Jesus is, in fact, that powerful. And I want to remind you of that as we go to prayer this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you. As a church, we come to you this morning as we open your word, and we pray that your word would bring life to us today. We pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would sharpen us, that you would equip us. We, we want everything today that you want for us in our life. We want to bring the name of Jesus glory. And so we speak the name of Jesus over every situation, over every label that we have over our head right now. It's your name that's above every other name and every other title. And so we just pray freedom over us so that we would be free to serve you with joy. We would be free to serve one another with love. And we would do so for your glory in Jesus' name, we pray this morning, and God's people said, because you know you want to say amen to that prayer. That's an amen, amen. Last several weeks, I've talked to you about all kinds of stuff, from dealing with offense, we've talked about forgiving people, we've talked about defying anger, not denying anger, but we've talked about dealing with our anger, we've talked about relinquishing a judgmental heart, and then last week, we talked about selfishness, and we, what we want is selflessness. And the question is, why would, we, why would we do all of this stuff that I'm telling you to do? I'm, I'm encouraging you to live like this. Why would we do that? And the simple answer, of course, is because that's the way that Jesus lived. And not only is it the way that he lived, but it's, it's the way he told us to live. He would say many, many times, go and do likewise after he demonstrated the way and he taught it as well. Go and do likewise. But that's the simple answer. And the reality is, is that if we are going to do what Jesus did, we need to love like Jesus loved. Our motivation for what we do really does matter. And that's why it's all about getting to the heart, what's on the inside. We want God to purify our motives. And what we do, we do out of the heart of Christ. And I want to call you this morning to a radical lifestyle of love. And whatever our limitations are, we just want to confront those and remove them. We want to remove the fear that holds us back from stepping over the threshold and really ministering to people in the world that we live in. You know, people are just waiting for us to step out in faith and, and really bring life and love to them, the kind of love that Jesus has brought to us. The world is truly waiting. And I think it's important that as we move toward this or think about this way that we ought to live in the world that we sent we put it the centrality of it is really love it's about loving God and it's really about loving people and there's a verse in Matthew chapter 24 regardless of your eschatology or what you believe about the end times Jesus 
said this, that in the time of turmoil, the time maybe of the end, in Matthew 24, he's saying this in this really this well-laid-out kind of perspective of of how dark times are going to be. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many would grow cold. With the increase of wickedness, the love of many would grow cold. The King James says, wax cold. Don't you love the King James once in a while? (laughs) Elizabethan English is not always how I talk, but I certainly enjoy the King James once in a while. The love of many would grow cold. He said that as darkness increases, people will become hardened. People will become numb. I don't think he's talking about unregenerate people, people that are already that way. You know, before I met Jesus, I was already that way. I was already hardened. I already didn't like people. I hated. I was already numb. I didn't care about anybody else. And then when I met Jesus, my heart, I, I had a new heart by which I lived a new life. And it was from him. That's what happens when you're born again. Don't you want to smile about that this morning? That you can't just make it happen. It's not about trying to love people. It's about receiving his love. And as a result of receiving his love, you have a new heart. And therefore, you can go and love other people like Jesus has has loved you. But I was already numb before I met him. And when Jesus says this, I don't think he's talking about people that we all were before we met him or, or even those that are because they don't know him. I think he's talking about people that do know him or profess to know him, that there will come a time where it will get dark and there will be difficulty and, and, and all of that. But he's, he's really talking about those of us that are to love, those of us that have the capacity to love. Our love will grow cold. And we could be numb and instead of doing what we are supposed to do and living the kind of life that Jesus has called us to, we can take another path. And, and ladies and gentlemen, this is why when we gather together, we declare war on passivity We declare war on apathy, and we declare war on on casual Christianity because it has no place among us, and it should never have a place in our hearts. It's why we want to confront that type of thinking or that way. And really, when we look at some of these stories where Jesus taught and it was provocative, instead of kind of trying to justify ourselves or figure out how great we are, we want to humble ourselves to the Word of God and, and say, yes, Lord, more for me. Let me look more like this today than I did Yesterday, I don't want to become numb. I want my witness to the world to look more and more like you. I want to carry the gospel in a more convicted way to the people that need it the most. We cannot allow a lukewarm lifestyle to just subtly creep in to the way that we are. And I think we might be living in a time of radical hate and extreme ungodliness and terrible violence, utter confusion. Come on, am I reading some headlines here, ladies and gentlemen? And we're about to go into a political season that's going to send some people into a tailspin. But I say not in the church because we have a mission and we have a calling from heaven that we need to be laser focused on. And I believe he's awakening us to step beyond our limitations. You and I, all all of us have limitations of how far we will go of how much we will love someone, or of, of how, how our experience tells us that. There, there's a point at which we kind of draw back, and the Lord's calling us beyond that. And we know that in order for us to step beyond those thresholds, we actually need his help. God, I'm not capable of stepping past this boundary. And he says, I know. <laughs> he probably laughs too, just like I did. I know. That's what faith is all about. You know, I, I think sometimes we live a Christian lifestyle that require, requires zero faith. It's illegal. 
Or God's gonna keep, he's gonna beckon us beyond what we know, beyond where we've gone, beyond how much we have. He's gonna call us beyond that for the sake of other people. He's gonna do that to co-labor with Christ. But we cannot be numb and we declare war on passivity, don't we? We declare war on it because it's our enemy. I wanna share with you a passage this morning that I think describes radical love and as we look at what it means to express the love of Christ to people all over in our, in our life, we're gonna look at the Good Samaritan parable and I wanna bring up some thoughts as we go through it like I maybe normally will that I think you'll find helpful, will find helpful as we seek to truly express the love of Christ through the renewed heart that he's given us. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. You can follow along on the screen. And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? Or how does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, oh no. (laughs) We should all underline that if you have a paper Bible. Just go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, I underlined it. He said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And by the way, it is somewhat of a mocking tone. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance... A priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He says this to the lawyer. Which one? Who was the one that was the neighbor? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus says, once again to this man, go and do the same. As we observe this story, I want to frame it up properly. I don't think I'd have the time to do do it justice because there really is a lot here. I could probably talk about this for about an hour or so, just the context, but I'm going to give you what I think I need to in order to to get where we're going. In the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. Now, we don't have all of their names or know exactly who they were, but he sends them out to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And they come back, not many verses later, they come back to Jesus, and it says that they're rejoicing And they actually make this statement to Jesus. They say, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus makes this wonderful comment back to them. Don't rejoice that demons are subject to you in my name, but that your names are written in heaven. He's like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. No big deal, guys. This is just a normal day in the kingdom. And I think it's interesting that the chapter opens up with Jesus sending people out to share good news. I think it's pretty profound, and it does actually leak into this conversation a little bit later. In verse 17, the disciples return, they're rejoicing, and then Jesus says something following that moment that I just referenced in verse 21, and I'm just going to read it to you right before what we've just read in verse 25, which brings about the Good Samaritan parable. 
At the very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit, and he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Now, park right there. I want you to know that he's saying this openly. Jesus didn't just go off and have a private conversation. Thank you, Father. You know, he's saying this openly, and people are hearing him. Not only the 72, not just his disciples, but there are also teachers of the law, like the one, the lawyer who asked him this question. He heard Jesus say this. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Blessed are your eyes for what you see, right? This means that not everybody can see what you're seeing right now. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Upon hearing that comment, that statement right there, we have a lawyer. A lawyer was not like a divorce lawyer or a marriage lawyer in those days. It was a theologian, an expert in Old Testament law. And he decides to ask Jesus a question, and he asks him that really sacred question question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everybody, we know that is the right question to ask. (laughs) That is the question that everyone in this room should ask. And he asked it to the right person, didn't he? I mean, of all the people you could ask that question to, this man asked the right person the right question. And it seems like a simple question, but he's actually trying to trap Jesus in his handling of the law. And you know you can't trap Jesus. Oh my gosh. That's a bad Wednesday Jesus says to the man, what is written in the law? And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You know, it talks about love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And then he also quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's an expert in the Old Testament law. He's got the right answer. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 22 that these two statements, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Half of the Ten Commandments are about loving God and half are about loving your fellow man. And Jesus says very clearly, you have answered correctly. The Old Testament law requires perfect love toward God and perfect love toward your fellow man, just as you love yourself. But this lawyer could not see. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are you, for you see things that others can't see. And you hear things that others long to hear, but they could not. This is a man that's asking this question that is utterly lost. The parable is not about social justice, which it tends to be today. It's not just about doing good to people. It's not just about that. This parable is about Jesus Christ reaching a very lost and spiritually dead man. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to prove to this man how lost he is. Before we can receive the good news, there is some bad news. The bad news is we're not good enough. The good news is Jesus is. The bad news is that we have to humble ourselves because our sin is ever before us and God sees us. This man thought that he loved God perfectly. This man thought that he loved his fellow man perfectly. He believed that he was fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. When Jesus says, what does the law say? He's not pointing him to salvation through the law because the law doesn't save us, but the law does show us. 
The law shows us that we need a savior. The law shows us that there is a perfect one and it's not you and it's not the one sitting next to you. But this man is so arrogant and so self-righteous that he already believes that he's in the place that he ought to be. You know how we know that? Because he says, well, who is my neighbor? He's saying that to justify himself. Listen to those words. He asked Jesus a question to justify himself, to make himself feel better, to put himself in a place where he can be seen as somebody that he thinks he is, but he's actually not. He doesn't love God. He doesn't love his fellow man. We know that the way that he interpreted the Old Testament law was completely askew. And this was the corruption of the religious elite at that time, the religious elite, the teachers of the law. You know who they loved? They loved each other. That's who they loved. And they felt like their knowledge and and their status was a way to put everybody else down in order to make themselves feel like they were something special. And Jesus comes and he doesn't only confront this lawyer, but he's confronting an entire religious system that is bent on making themselves feel and look like they're something that they're actually not. The law was not here in order for us to have some kind of religious pecking order. The the law was a tutor. It was a teacher to lead us to our need for a savior. And he's missing the entire point. He's utterly lost and Jesus is seeking to reach out to him. How did teachers of the law justify the way that they despise people other than themselves. Well, look at Psalm 139, verse 21. You won't have it on the screen. You're just going to actually have to listen to me. This is sort of a pop-in verse. This is what the psalmist says. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the experts in Old Testament law would take this verse. This is one of the actual verses that rabbis would use to say that we hate those who hate the Lord. Well, guess what? They also got to interpret who hated the Lord. And that's exactly what would happen. How do we know that? Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But guess what? Everybody seemingly was their enemy. Anybody that wasn't like them, anybody that didn't like them, <laughs> wasn't like them or didn't like them, that's my enemy. And you don't love God. We love God, and I'm proving it by the way that I live. See, this man is so blind. He's so arrogant. He thinks he has something. He's unwilling to humble himself. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? He's trying to justify himself, and Jesus is getting to it. That's why he says in Matthew 5, who, 543, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. This is not something that they understood. But you know the Old Testament law actually does call us out to not only love our neighbor, but it says love the stranger in your midst. It talks about doing justice and walking humbly before your God. How do they ignore all of that? Well, that's, that's what happens when man wants to justify themselves, to think well of themselves. We don't humble ourselves before God. This man is utterly lost. And this whole story is bent on Jesus reaching him. It's not just about trying to encourage us to do a little bit better. It's, it's actually trying to compel us toward our need for a changed and transformed heart. If this man could only see what he needed to see. This brings me to my point. Well, many points. I want to share with you a couple observations from the passage that I think will help us as we seek to express love. And I'm going to do it maybe in a little bit of a different way. 
because I feel so compelled. The first thing I don't believe is necessarily an observation from this passage, but I need to say it to you right up front because we're living in a time where people think, you know, we talk about the whole gospel and bringing the whole gospel to people. It's all about doing good works. And I want to say to you this morning, to love, if we're going to love people, to love means that we share good news and do good works, that there's a combination of the two. And we're living in a time where people, I think, out of fear and honestly out of a perversion of what the gospel actually is, that we, we allow ourselves to believe we can just do good to other people and that somewhere along the way they'll ask us about Jesus. And I have actually found that to be a false notion. When Jesus commissioned his disciples in Mark chapter 16, he said, go preach the gospel. Now, preach doesn't mean get up in someone's grill and tell them off. Preach means that we proclaim Jesus. We share about Jesus everywhere we go. We're not ashamed. We're not afraid. And this is so important that we do good works and we share good news. Because when the two come together, it's like nitro meat glycerin. Kaboom. You know, we sometimes, people will say this, and I want you to know it bothers me. You need to know some things about me, and here's one of them. It bothers me when people say, well, St. Francis of Assisi was credited as saying, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, I don't know St. Francis of Assisi, and when you do a fact check, he didn't say it anyways, because he was a preacher. It's not even true. And uh, you know that when you write books, you have to do fact checks a lot, because you don't want to publish something that uh, somehow ends up being false. But it's like, you know, hey, uh, preach the gospel, but use words if necessary. Words are necessary. Again, we have this idea that if we use words, it's annoying or it's in somebody's grill or it's offensive or any of that. I'm not talking about being overbearing. I'm talking about being unashamed. I'm talking about let your light shine. I don't want to sing like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That doesn't just mean do good works. I want to do good works. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But think about they will glorify your Father in heaven. How will they even know that what we did was because we know our Father in heaven? How will they glorify our Father in heaven if people don't know the reason that we do what we do is because we know the Father in heaven? I mean, it's like we don't even connect the dots. And so we have this whole movement today that's all about good works, and they're no longer sharing good news. And you know what happens? The good news starts to change. It's no longer that our righteousness is filthy rags before God, therefore we need a Savior. It's no longer that the law itself was to show us that we needed someone to save us because you know what? We're pretty decent people. And let's just encourage people to be decent people. We have to throw ourselves on the altar of needing God's love. And the reason that I'm saying this is because we are never going to love people unless we absolutely have a transformed heart. It's just not possible to get a little bit better. Try a little bit harder, do a little bit more, yet how is that working for you? We need God to help us to love people. There's no, there's all the things that I'm about to say after this, it first comes with this foundation of us preaching the God. There is nothing more loving that we can do than share with somebody about Jesus Christ. We have medical missions that go out from our church. Many of you know Dan and Roseanne Thompson. I was talking to them the, uh, just the other night, Friday night. And I just love how they go to different places and provide medical care and at the same time share the gospel. We're going to care for you right here and now, but we care about your eternity. I'm not going to fix your arm or, or what's going on in your body without telling you that there's something better that's coming. Eternity is coming. 
Jesus is coming back. Oh my gosh, I feel like when I say that, there's such a resistance, not because of you, because you guys are wonderful. You guys are, you guys are just, it's not you, it's not you. It's the times that we live in, right? It's like Jesus isn't coming back. It's like the story's not as real as it is. Jesus Christ is coming back. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every man, every woman will give an account to Jesus Christ. That's real life. And, and we have our opinions and our philosophies and our debates. We've got all that going on and we're so smart. We're so smart. Social media has proved it, hasn't it? We're just, we're just, we're so fantastic. But when we stand in the presence of the one who really is fantastic, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. I mean, nobody's going to, it says in Isaiah that no flesh can glory in his presence. No, nobody's going to stand up like this lawyer who's literally dead, spiritually dead, and he's standing in the presence of the only one that can raise the dead. And he has no clue who he's talking to. He's got no clue how dead he is and how much power is in the person that's in front of him to raise his dead state to be a man that's alive. I mean, this is, this is what we need to understand. We want to love people. If we want to love people, it's because that we recognize, realize, receive the love of God in Jesus Christ. Every day of our life, from the moment that we're born again, more, Lord. I need you to pour out your love into my heart because I want to be like you, act like you, look like you in the world that I live in. I want people to know you because they've seen me and they know me because I'm shining your love and life into the lives of other people. It's not just about good works. We do good works and we share good news. The two come together. Don't be afraid. Let me just give you courage. Do not be afraid. There are times where God would call you. When, if our ears are open and we're not trying to justify our own righteousness, if we just stop it, if we just stop trying to justify being moral or just having a decent Christian life, but we have a radical life where I'm not ashamed and I would rather share with you good news and you use your tall finger against me than me Then me feel liked by everybody. You know what I'm talking about. I know not all of you smiled there. It's okay. I don't fit into every religious box. Trust me, I know. I don't want people to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would have everlasting life, that all would come to repentance, right? God is not willing, so why would I be? He's not willing, so he sends me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> sends you. He sends us so that everyone would have a legitimate opportunity to hear the good news. And sometimes that means we have to partner that with good work. So we do right by people. But it's not just about doing right. Maybe they'll see that I'm a good person. That, that's fine. I mean, I, I, want, I want everybody to think well of me, but if it, if it means because I'm covering up the very thing that will save their soul, that's not, that's not okay. That's not okay. So that was a free one. I had to throw that in before I share with you the rest. To love means that we stop for people. We see in this story a man walking down a 17-mile dangerous stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's robbed, he's beaten, and he's left for dead. And then, and then, then Jesus gets real provocative like he always does. He says, then there was a priest who's walking down the road and he, he sees a man. And the man's in need, and he, and he passes by the other side. The language in this story couldn't be more aggressive. 
It's there's a priest and he sees somebody that's half dead and, and, and he, he doesn't just ignore, but he actually goes out of his way, aggressively walks across the road. I have nothing to do with this. I don't want to be bothered. And I want to tell you, I've read all these commentaries where people are saying things like, well, the priest came from the temple and he doesn't want to touch something that would make him unclean. And, you know, all of these different variables of the story. Jesus wasn't telling the story because he agreed with those thoughts. He was telling the story to prove a point. In fact, it's a story, okay? This man's not even real. <laughs> People turn this into an allegory, and they make so many points as a result of this. Like, all these, I, I won't even go into it. It's just ridiculous. But this is not an allegory. Jesus is, is trying to reach the heart of someone. He's trying to reach the lawyer who's asking him a question. He's trying to trap him, and so he's saying there was a priest, and the, the priest saw someone in need. He saw someone in dire need. Somebody was, was dying, and you would think, like, may, maybe somebody's not going to go and help somebody with a splinter, okay? Like, you'll figure that out, but this man's dying. He paints a very provocative picture, and the person who represents God went out of his way to avoid instead of went out of his way to help. Like, this is a very, very serious comment, and then he says there was not only a a priest, but hey, there was a Levite that comes by. And I love how the story makes sure that we get the detail. The Levite walks by and it says he sees him. Don't think he, he oh, I didn't see him. I didn't know about that. No, 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 no. He sees him and he does the same exact thing. He walks by on the other side. The priest and the Levite do the exact opposite of what they should do. And Jesus is making quite a point as a result of this. And there is something that we need to learn as a result of this point is that you can have all the knowledge in the world and still be the most unspiritual person in the room. I'm not putting down knowledge. I want everybody in this, the room to memorize the whole Bible. Good luck, but that's what I want. I do. Read the Bible every day. I read the Bible every day. I journal every day, and I'm not just doing it to acquire knowledge, although I want to know. I want to know God, but I want to live like Jesus, I want, don't want to be a hearer, I want to be a doer at the same time. So this is, this is the duplicity that we can't allow ourselves to walk in. But this is what Jesus is trying to say. You have these two people that represent God among that community, and they do the exact opposite of what God would have them to do. And Jesus is saying this to this lawyer, to this expert in Old Testament law, because there is a very serious point. And then he, of course, goes out of his way to say, but there was a Samaritan. And the hostility there be, between Jews and Samaritans is probably something that we all know. Samaritans being potentially half Syrian and half Jewish, they worship in a different way. They worship in a different place. And so the hostility is there. We, we would call it hatred. All right, Jews, especially the elite Jews, the Pharisees, reli religious leaders, teachers of the law, hated Samaritans. They were enemies of theirs, and they were, in their mind, enemies of God. And they've, in John chapter 8, those that are confronting Jesus actually call Jesus a Samaritan. It's like calling him a bad name, that you are a Samaritan. And so this had become almost a bad word, a bad name. And so Jesus, of course, uses the Samaritan in the story. Now there's a Samaritan that's walking by, and he sees the man in need. And it says something different. It says he, had, he felt compassion. You know the word compassion, it means to be moved from the inward parts to be moved from the inward parts. Isn't that kind of what we've been talking about with possessing the heart of Christ? It's that we're not just trying to do good works. We want to be moved by the heart of Christ. We want what's in him to be in us and to move us toward people, which means that we have to stop. 
which means we have to stop. When we're going about our day, there are moments, and Jesus is looking and, and, and he's teaching this story, and I think we can glean this from it, is that a lot of times situations, opportunities that we pray for are right in front of our face, but we're not, we're not stopping. We're not, we're not stopping. Now, I'm not saying you have to stop your car all the time and talk to somebody, although that does happen to me occasionally. So I do want to warn you that that could even happen. Do we stop for people? Compassion is something that comes from the heart. I don't know if, I mean, I know Jesus knew this, but I can't imagine anybody that's listening to Jesus would have thought that what he was teaching would go as far as it's gone. I mean, all the hospitals that are called Samaritan Hospital, <laughs> Samaritan's Purse, <laughs> Ministries. The, I mean, Jesus put Samaritans on the map, didn't he? Oh, my gosh. It was a game changer. The Samaritans, really, they, they, they came out on top there. I was, I was watching these videos. The bullying has been a problem for a long, long time, and I don't know if you've ever seen these videos where there'll be a couple actors and they'll stage like this bullying event to see what other people will do. And so I probably shouldn't have been watching said videos. And I don't encourage you to either because last night my son was listening to my sermon and he wanted me to go on YouTube to try to refine them. And I said, no, son. That wasn't the point I was making. He just wanted to see the video. So don't go look for the video. But they're doing this, they're staging this event to kind of prove a point. To, to, the, to the world. And so there's this big guy and there's this little guy. And the big guy's roughing up the little guy out in the open, you know, maybe on a college campus. You know, slapping him around, hitting him. And it's real lifelike. I mean, it doesn't look that fakey. A couple of them might, but the ones that I w- was watching, they were very realistic. Like, bam, bam, slapping him up, yelling at him, maybe not cursing, but, you know, really coming against him hardcore. And as a result of that, like, they're videotaping this in the background. Nobody can tell. And hardly anybody stops at all. Hardly anybody says anything. You, you want to know what some people do? They pull that phone out and they do this as they walk by. They videotape a big guy beating up a little guy. They videotape it and they post it on social media. We're living in a culture that is, I mean, it's not like the priest and the Levite walking across the other side of the road. We, we walk across the other side of the road with our phone out, make sure we videotape it to show everybody else. If I ever saw somebody on their social media feed where they had videotaped somebody getting harmed or hurt, I would not think well of said person. I would think all you did is prove that it was more important for you to capture something to get likes or comments than to actually help people. Oh, my gosh. Like, doesn't that kind of freak out your insides? It does me. It's like, ah, you just proved something about yourself. Please don't post that. That says a lot about you. And that's what people do. And so they're trying to prove that nobody stops. And you'll see person after person after person after person. And they'll, some will walk away. Some will sit there and watch. Some will videotape. That's the world that we live in. It's not the same world that Jesus was teaching in, but it's the same, same, it's the same heart. To not care, to walk away, to avoid. And Jesus is like, listen, in this story, to love means that we got to stop for people, and this is a strong encouragement, and it's really not that hard. I, I want to tell you this morning that I can't, I won't guilt anybody into anything, but we have to have the heart that gets moved with compassion. And that's the point, is like we want to be moved from the inside with the heart of Christ with compassion to help people that are in need. And then he goes on, the second point that I want, or the third point I want to make is to love means that we take responsibility. The priest and the Levite saw the man in need, but it wasn't their problem, was it? It's not my problem. I didn't beat him up. I didn't bring him to this condition. It's not something that I was involved in. 
so I don't want to get involved in the mix of helping him. You know, that's the difference, in my opinion, between Christians and people that maybe just aren't or don't care, don't have his heart. I'm not saying people don't do good things, but at least for us, we should be people that have the heart to help people where it wasn't something that we were, that we were the causation of. That's just who we are. And I think it is, but I think it needs to increase. I mean, I think I, I'm catching myself from getting into trouble right now. There's a lot of things I want to say, and I won't. The Samaritan saw the man in need and made it his problem. He didn't hurt the man, but he certainly helped him, didn't he? He bandaged him up. He poured oil on his wounds. He took him to an inn and even paid for his stay. Love is caring for people, and as Christ followers, we love by serving, sharing, and speaking in the name of Jesus. Jesus asked the lawyer, who was the neighbor to the wounded man? Who was the neighbor? He tells a story, and then he says, who was the neighbor to the wounded man? And the lawyer concedes, because he has to. The one who showed mercy. The one who took responsibility for the need that was in front of him. Let me, let me just ask you the question. Do you take responsibility for the needs that are in front of you in your life? Do I? You know, this morning, I'm not preaching at you. I'm praying this for myself. I, I want God to give me that sensitive heart. I really want this. I want this for us. Because I want people to know Jesus and the way that we show mercy, the way that we love people, it really does, it really does matter. Those who possess love, truth, and power, it's our responsibility and we're very equipped through the Holy Spirit to do the very thing that I'm talking about. This can apply in our marriage, our family, our jobs, our church, and our neighborhoods, everywhere that we go, every person that's in front of us. You know what I've learned, and I, I, I know you know this, but I'm just going to speak right to it. I have learned that people... Every person is in need, but not every person shows it on their face, and not every person says it with their words. But if you and I can become people that have that mindset, it's a lot easier to not get offended when we understand that sometimes the reason that people do what they do is because they're hurt and they're wounded and they need Jesus, but they don't know how to tell you that, and so they tell you that with other means, okay, the tall finger, whatever, okay, they... they People do it by offending you, but all they're really saying, if you can interpret it rightly, is that, is that I need something more powerful than what I'm living for. I need something greater. I need God. I need Jesus in my life. They're telling you that. They're telling me that. I'm dead inside. And if we can just absorb the sin that so easily comes out of us and interpret it as, I know what you need. I, I, know, I know exactly what you need because I, I needed the same thing, and I still need the same thing. And I'm going to take responsibility to help you, whether it's somebody that's beaten up and half dead or, or it's just somebody that lives next door to you that's never been nice to you. You know, we, we can go out of our way, if, but we've got to be people that want to show mercy. We've got to be people, people that want to show love. Love is not just in words, it's, it's in deeds, isn't it? Amen. And the last point I want to make is to love means that we make sacrifices. The priest and the Levite were on their way somewhere, and maybe stopping was inconvenient or it was too costly. I've never, I've, I've honestly never found that serving Jesus is convenient. We live it, even sometimes when I hear stuff preached like that, it's like, what are you passionate about? What are you really excited about? What are you jazzed about? That's probably the thing that God wants you to do. I'm like, when I read the Bible, I read a lot of people that didn't want to do what God called them to do. So whenever I'm listening to somebody say that kind of stuff, I'm like, what Bible are you reading, man? I mean, it sounds nice. It's like, whatever is just natural for you, that's probably what God wants you to do. I'm like, it's natural for me to eat a donut. I don't know. That's... (laughs) 
Just give out donuts. I mean, what are you talking about? And we're just trying to sell it, you know, and, and, and get people real jazzed, and that lasts a whole week. That's what it does. It lasts a week. But the reality is, is that sometimes God will call you, it'll, your flesh gets offended. And, and you know what you say? You say the same thing that Moses said. I think you, you got the wrong guy. I can't even speak. And then, you know, it's funny. It says that, that Moses all of a sudden develops this stutter. But in the book of Acts, when you read about Moses, it said, he was a man mighty indeed in speech. It's a different narrative about him in the book of Acts. It doesn't talk about his stuttering. Maybe he developed the stutter when the presence of God came upon him and he didn't want to do what God called him to. God calls me to do things that are inconvenient. It's costly. But when you accept it up front, it doesn't feel that way all the time when you're in the middle of it. But there are sacrifices to make. Um, when I was a youth pastor at a church in Kirkland, this was about 18 years ago, and I, I worked at this fireplace manufacturing company, and it, it, was, it was a cool temp job and, uh, for the most part. But anyways, I had this boss, and she was a great lady. She was always super kind, and she really favored me. She liked me a lot, and so she knew I was seeking to serve the Lord with my life, and, and so I have a lot of freedom at the company, and I appreciated that. I think underneath it all, she really did meet Jesus at one time, but wasn't walking with him currently. And they, I was, uh, at that time, I was a lot younger than I am now, believe it or not. And, uh, but the thing was is that they would make, a lot of the people in the company would make fun of me. They'd call me the chaplain, and they would send me all kinds of horrible emails, you know. Anyways, I, it would be harassment now, but that was, it's amazing how far we've progressed in 18 years. <laughs> Wouldn't have been able to do that then or, or now. But I remember uh, she came in one day, and she was really distraught. I mean, she was you could just tell her countenance was down. She was all messed up. And uh, she walks into her office and she just shuts the door. And I know she's bawling. I know it. I could just, she's trying to hide it, but you could tell, you could see it. She's trying to do this. So I just walk into her office and uh, I knock on the door. She said, come in. I said, hey, are you, are you all right? I just don't, I can tell that, that something's wrong. And uh, I had the door open. So she gets up and she shuts the door and she opens up her heart to me. Just such a beautiful moment. When anybody opens their heart to us, it's a beautiful moment. She had the fear of God on us when that happens. It's very, very important to pay attention. And so I'm just this young guy. I'm studying for ministry and a youth pastor and I'm super excited. And I just didn't really know what to do. And she starts to tell me that her mom had Alzheimer's and they finally had to ad admit her to uh, Alzheimer's residence home. And uh, as she's talking this out with me, she's, she's getting a little bit better. She just needed to talk, talk it out with somebody. And so anyways, she um, knew that I was, I was seeking to be in vocational ministry. And so she said, Ben, do you know anybody that can go do a church service? Because my mom's like old school assembly of God. And she can't remember anything like now, but she can remember how great thou, thou art. And she can remember amazing grace. And do you know anybody that could go and play those songs and maybe preach to a, a group of older people that probably will never remember their name? It's, and uh, I said, I'll do it. And she goes, no, 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 you're a young man and you need to find a lady and you need to, you know, all that. <laughs> she, did, she just did that. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, I was 21, 21 years old, saved for two years. And, uh, and so she said, are you serious? I said, absolutely. So the, uh, the, it was called Aegis. You may know the name, but it was called Aegis. It's Alzheimer's Residence Home. 
And I think three weeks later, I showed up with a couple people. I had somebody that could play the piano barely, and they would play the Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art. I, I had to learn the songs. I actually learned all of the old hymns in prison ministry because you did, couldn't give anybody anything. So they had to sing songs that we all knew. And so uh, we, I learned a lot of the hymns through that. And I, I was there for two years every Saturday, from 21 to 23, about 23 and a half years old. And even when I met my wife and she had her two boys, I would take them with me while I would go preach. And I had no idea if they were getting anything out of my sermons. I mean, I would preach sermons that had nothing to do with any, They couldn't do any of what I was saying, you know. We need to preach the gospel to everybody, you know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had no clue what to do, but... Um, I want, you, want, you want me to tell you what happened, though? This is great. Uh, and let me, let me you know, I planted a church at Aegis. That's what I did. Did you know that's still going today? Yeah. It's in Totem Lake. That's still there today. My sister's been involved. My dad's been involved. Uh, the former pastor that I was involved with, he's still involved. They still do uh, hymns. They still do sermons. And they do it every Sunday in the afternoon. It's going to happen today at 2 p.m. It happens every weekend. And I want, I want you to hear this, though. A 21-year-old kid that doesn't know any better than just to say yes. I'm not, I'm not the poster child for spirituality in front of you. I'm just saying there are some times in my life where I said yes, and I had no idea what was on the other side of the yes. And what I'm saying is, is that it was costly because I had to give up two and a half hours of my Saturday at 21 years old, which, by the way, is a lot more than you think it is. And I said yes to something I didn't understand. But you know what I did? I, I learned to love people that couldn't really love me back. I learned to love people that couldn't remember my name. I learned to love older people that, you know, this culture has never taught me to love, to be quite honest with you. The hostility and it, part of why I have a heart for generations, younger and older, and to bring them all together is because God in my story has taught me things like this and he did it even despite me. He did it when I said yes and didn't know what I was saying yes to. I don't have the knowledge and the wisdom to teach everybody how to do things, but I can tell you this. If you say yes to the stuff that's in front of you, if you're willing to pick up that man that's half dead on the side of the road, pick up a situation that you don't have any causation, you didn't make that happen, but you, through the power of the Holy Spirit and with the gospel of Jesus that you and I have, we can do something about it. And when we do, when we make these kind of sacrifices, God will move powerfully. All of the stuff that we pray for, we pray God save, we pray God deliver, we pray God heal, we want God to move, we want all these things to happen, but they're often on the other end of not just our prayer, but our obedience as well. And God wants us to not only pray it, but he also wants us to live it. And when we commit ourselves to that, we will see love explode. It's exactly what we want to have happen. But it's in these kind of moments, isn't it? It's where we make sacrifices. I, I, I don't know how much of a sacrifice it would have been for the priest and the Levite if they would have just picked up a dying man. But I, I know that the provocative nature of the story is that if a Samaritan were to put a Jewish man on his beast and ride him into town, I'm not sure if he would make it out alive. I mean, that'd be like a, uh, in the 1800s, a, a Native American man walking into Dodge City with a cowboy slung over his horse. You think he'd make it out alive? I don't think so. I think he did that because this provocative story is to say, it's worth it. It's worth it all. Now, I want to close by saying something about love. I just did this a little bit of homework. Um, Pastor Ben, what does the Bible say about expressing love, like all over the Bible? Thank you for asking that question. I want to show you. 
you shall love the Lord your God with all. These are my abbreviations, by the way, just so you know it's not exactly what it says, but you'll find this to be true. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all transgressions. Matthew 5, 43, you shall love your neighbor. And remember, neighbor is defined by Jesus, anybody that's in front of us, anybody that has need. Matthew 5, 44, you shall love your enemies. Keep going, please. You shall not only love those who love you, but love everyone. In the end times, love will grow cold. Jesus felt love for people when he saw their need, that compassion that we were talking about. You could keep scrolling through. Keep, go to the next one. Um, could you go to the next one real quick there? Is that, oh, there we go. Woe to the Pharisees who disregard justice and the love of God. Jesus said the Pharisees did not have love in them. That's, <laughs> he just kind of, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus told us to love one another as he loved us. Isn't that the, the, the crux of it? We are known as his disciples by the love that we have for one another. All men will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one, not the knowledge that you have, not how smart you are, but how much of the knowledge you have flows in, in and through your life. That's powerful. What, we are to abide in his love, commanded to love one another. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. God will pour love into our hearts. I'm, I'm not asking you to stir it up, make it up, in fact, I'm not even asking you to just get practical. I'm saying that when our hearts are filled with God's love, it's uncontainable. We're asking God to do inside of us what we're not, if I say, if I give you all these practical steps and I, sit and we, and I send you out today, I'm telling you, you're going to fail by tomorrow because it has to come out of a compelled heart from the love of Jesus. Compassion was not, oh, oh, oh I remember the law. These guys knew the law. But there was a person that had something in him. He was compelled. He had compassion. How, where does that come from? That comes from the Holy Spirit who pours out love into our hearts. Keep, keep going here. We have love, love must be without, faith works through love. Love is the fruit of God's spirit. We're to speak the truth in love. We're called to walk in love. That's everyday lifestyle. I could just, I mean, it, you could keep scrolling, just keep, keep going. I, I don't know if you're getting where I'm going here or not. You guys getting this? I could keep going. I think I put it on your notes, actually. But look at this one in 1 John four nineteen: We are a people who love God and others because he first loved us. There's no religiosity here. There's no demand command that I'm trying to guilt trip you in here. I'm saying there's a life worth living, and it's a life where we love people radically because we really do love God. It's an invitation into a greater type of lifestyle. It's the life that we want. It's the life that Jesus revealed to us. And as much as I want to give you all these practical steps, and I think it's important to do that, I think what we really need is for God to touch our hearts and to fill our hearts and to give us that inner compelling that when we see the need, that we don't pass by on the other side. Because if he puts that inside of us, we'll be people that are drawn to. Did I know what I was doing when I was 21 years old and I said yes to my boss about going to a, Alzheimer's residence home. I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't even know what kind of practicality to employ. And you know what? You don't need to know. You just don't need to know what you need. What we need is we need a heart of Jesus. And when we have the heart of Christ, you can't stop me. You can't stop me. You can have all the training of being a first responder, but if you can't respond, your training is just training. So what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do for us today is to, is to impart to us the level of love that we need to respond to the needs and to the people in our life. That's what I'm asking. Will you ask the Lord for that this morning with me? 
I'm by faith, I'm agreeing. Everybody's agreeing with me. Come on. Will you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to go ahead and pray. And if you're asking the Lord to receive that, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus this morning. We pray that you would make us a people who love you and love others radically. And Lord, we confess that we've not done that. And Lord, you're not angry at us at all, but you're compelling us to live the life that you created us for. And so, Lord, we yield to that. We submit to that. We ask for that. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit today that we would be compelled by the love of God to touch the people in our world? And it reveals how much we love you. So we ask, Lord, for your help this morning. I pray over our congregation. Will you help us, Lord? Open our eyes that we might see. And God, compel our hearts that we might respond. We want to express your love to the world around us, Lord, and and go beyond practicality. Give us a transformation. And if we've become maybe religious in our hearts and we want to justify that we're good people and and that we do religious things, Lord, I just pray that you would also provoke us this morning. Provoke me. Soften my heart. Soften our hearts today that we might look more and more like you and the world would be better for it because they see you, they experience you, they hear about your good news. And we thank you because you will do that. That's a prayer you will answer this morning. You smile at it, Father, and we thank you that you do. And we receive it by faith in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, let me commission you this morning. Be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice and be focused on his mission as we bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Amen.